and welcome. Well, for you prophecy buffs, we have finally arrived at the book of Revelation. You know, I was laughing, uh, kind of reading some of Greg Laurie's stuff, and he says, you know you're a prophecy nut. He, have, he had a whole list of things. But he said, you know that you're a prophecy nut when you get your income tax check, and it says $666, and you refuse to cash it. <laughs> I don't think I know too many of those nutty people. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> let's turn our Bibles to the book of Revelation. And uh, we'd like to uh, look at the first eight verses, sort of the introduction here to this great book, which is wonderful in many different ways, but it promises a special blessing to those who read it. And if you can't read it, to those who hear it and to those who implement and keep those things. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. And John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, into all things that he saw, and blessed is he, or she, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And John, to the seven churches, uh, which are in Asia, will be Turkey today, <clears throat> And grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and yet who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of, over the kings of the earth, and to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests. Isn't that amazing. That's incredible, isn't it? I, mean, you just, I don't think we really fathom it. Um, well, namely because we haven't got our crown yet. He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Behold, he is coming. He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. And even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. For I am Alpha, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for this prophecy. We thank you for your word. You've not left us in darkness. But, Lord, you've given us light. And once again, Lord, we, we come to this glorious book. Lord, a book that points us to the future. And Lord, we pray, Father, as you have called us to be your sons and daughters at this critical time in history, that, Lord, we would not be distracted by all the other things that are going on in our world. Lord, you've given us a mission, a co-mission, to go ye into all the world, tell people about you. Lord, we know there are no political solutions. Lord, you're the solution. Lord, you're the answer. And how we extol you today, Lord, and, and we want to glorify you with our lives. So I pray, Father, as we begin this book of Revelation, 
that, Lord, indeed, Lord, there would be special blessings that would come into our lives, giving us, Lord, insight and understanding. And, Lord, in any which way we need to change our perspective, Lord, so often we get grounded, Lord, too easily. We get looking at the things around us, Lord. But, Lord, help us to look up. Help us to be waiting, ready for you. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be busy about your business. Lord, there's much to do. And as you have called us, Lord, you've commissioned us. And we know so often in ourselves we don't feel like much. But as we make much of you, Lord, we will find that you will give sufficient to keep us busy. Keep us serving you. And keep us active for the kingdom. We love you, dear Lord. We love you and praise you. And thank you for your great love for us, demonstrated through the cross. And rising over, Lord, rising up from the grave over death, Lord, we uh, are thankful, Lord, because we sit here this morning, Lord, having experienced resurrected life, what a glorious thing. What an awesome thing, Lord. So speak, we pray now, by your spirit, through your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we've entitled our message this morning, The Greatest Prophecy Ever Told, because as we look at this uh, prophetic uh, book, and we find that this is the one book in the Bible uh, that is thoroughly prophetic from beginning to end. Of course, we know that uh, the book of Daniel is sort of the Old Testament book of, of Revelation, you can say. Uh, yet we have some narratives, some stories there. But when we look at Revelation, we have a, we have a book from beginning to end uh, that is prophetic. And when you think about prophecy, um, that it's history written in advance. Because God is the only one who knows, you know, what is going to transpire and what is going to take place. You see, our God, he, he spans, you know, the, this dimension that we call time. The past, present, he's in the future. Uh, he knows the future. And so as we uh, uh, look at this book, he gives us, you know, insight. He gives us, you know, uh, incredible, you know, wisdom as far as, you know, what might take place, what, or what will take place, rather, in the future, uh, so that we can adjust our lives and live accordingly to the truth and be ready. That's one of the things that Jesus always said, didn't he? Uh, just encouraging us to be ready uh, and I think that so many will not be ready when he comes. It shouldn't be a shock for us. It, it shouldn't be a surprise for us, should it? Uh, when we think about the Lord coming, and so many times he, he just encourages us and exhorts us uh, relative to that important fact. And of course we see and know that the book is a, a, a book, uh, the Bible is a book rather, of prophecy. Um, uh, as much as two-thirds of the Bible is prophecy, and about half of that has been fulfilled. And that's why we see the religions of the world will not touch prophecy. They will not touch that. And, of course, when you get into things like Nostradamus and uh, those kinds of things, uh, the, the prophecies and the so-called things are so absolutely convoluted that you can almost make them fit anywhere. Uh, but when we look at the Bible, the Bible is so wonderfully prophetic unlike any other religious writing. And, and, and I think that when, we, when it comes to um, you know, evangelism and speaking you know, to people, uh, I was, as a matter of fact, I was speaking to a, 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 a fellow yesterday who was unchurched, and, um, uh, and he brought the subject up to me uh, as I was talking about the Jewish people. He says, why, why is it uh, that they have been so... Um, you know, there's been so much violence against the, the, the Jewish people. And when you look at it over history, you know, you look at, uh, it, of course, in not too recent history, uh, the, the Holocaust. Uh, then you go back another 20 years from that, you got the pogroms in Russia. But as you go back through history, there's, it, it's, it's sort of replete with these different, you know, these persecutions, these anti-Semitic purges against these people. And so it gave me an opportunity to speak to him uh, about prophecy and the fact that uh, there is a real malignant force in this world called the devil uh, and his minions. And certainly, he wants to destroy the Jewish people because the Jewish people, interestingly, are a key to prophecy. Do you know that? 
They're the key to end time prophecy. And that's why Satan has tried to destroy the Jewish people. Because if he can destroy and wipe out the Jewish people, the prophecies cannot be fulfilled. And so that's why we see um, a, 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 an onslaught continually against the Jewish people. Because they play a, an integral part, a very important key uh, to the fulfillment of prophecy. Because remember... Uh, Right now, as, as, as Paul, the apostle who was Paul the rabbi, uh, reminds us in the chapters of 9, 10, and 11 in the book of Romans um, that God has got a plan for the Jew, but they're set aside right now. They're, they're set aside. Uh, he's not finished with them. It's a mistake in Christian circles to ever think that, you know, we're the new Israel. God's kind of thrown them away. He's done with them. No, he's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He still has a plan. And I'll tell you what, when you read the Old Testament prophets, you, you can't, it's, it's very hard to ignore that. You see it over and over again uh, that God has got a plan for the Jewish people, for the land of Israel. Uh, and so Satan has tried his best to destroy them uh, and, and, and wipe them out, hoping that uh, if he could, and of course he can't, uh, but hoping that if he could, um, he would forestall the whole prophetic plan. Um, isn't it wonderful that our God is on the throne? That, that he's in control, that nothing can stop his purpose. Uh, and that's why it's important. Be careful that you don't get too wrapped up in politics today. Because these kingdoms are all going by the wayside. Okay? And uh, we need to remember that there's a kingdom that's coming. And we are the advance party you know, for that kingdom to announce uh, the coming of our king. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be different than any administration that's ever ruled the United States of America. I'll tell you that right now, because it's going to be a, it's going to be a blessed time. And, uh, and remember for the church, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a whole different perspective. Um, as, we're, as we're taken out of here and uh, we're given special assignment in that kingdom, what a blessed day that's going to be. You know, there's going to be people that are going to be born in the millennial reign under Christ, and they're, and they're probably going to talk to us and say, what was it like? What was it like in the old days? And it's like, I don't know if I want to tell you that. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. And, um, but, uh, you know, this book of Revelation is rightly the last book of the Bible because it closes out the day of man. And that's what we're living, that's what we're living through today. Uh, that's why my, my friend there, my unchurched friend, he was saying, well, why is there so much war? Why is there so much violence? And, of course, Jesus said that would mark this age. Uh, remember he spoke about that uh, a number of different times, Matthew 24, Luke 21, uh, that those things would just simply mark this age because it's the day of man. Uh, the day of Christ is wonderfully coming, and what a day that's going to be. Isn't it wonderful that the kingdom of God has made a beachhead in your heart? Uh, and that's why, you know, when the Prince of Peace, that's why we see the world. The world's always fighting. And that's why, you know, when you look around the world today, one of the prophecies would be great ethnic violence. Uh, remember when Jesus said, nation shall rise against nation. In the Greek, that is ethnos. And look at the ethnic tensions in our own country. Look at the ethnic problems, the purges, and the things that take place around the world. You know, that's not, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that the kingdom of God is alive in your heart? And that's why we're not, king, that's why we're not kingdom now people. You can't be kingdom now people. This isn't his kingdom, okay? Uh, it's going to be kingdom, we're kingdom then people, okay? When the Lord comes and establishes up this, this establishes a wonderful kingdom, it's going to, he's going to reign here for, for a, a, a thousand years, and... Um, we're going to, you know, we've got this vantage point, and we're going to see it from that vantage point of what it's going to be like under our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So basically, uh, this prophecy closes out uh, the history of man as we know it. Uh, you know, we, we, we look at, you know, we look at, we live in a time continuum kind of a thing. Uh, but as we look at this particular prophecy, it closes out the day of man, uh, history as we know it, and it, and it just, it, it, it basically births a new day and a new age when we think about, you know, we hear a lot uh, today about the new age. Uh, there's a new age coming, and I'll tell you what, it's not like it, you, you're going to find uh, in a lot of the reading in the books, um, you know, when man begins to sort of conjure up what he thinks the new age is. Uh, there's a new age coming, and I'll tell you, the Bible tells us all about it. 
and a wonderful age that it will be. And so this book will usher in uh, that particular day and establish what we would call the millennial age or the day of Jesus Christ. Another thing that we see uh, as we introduce this book here, that it's a book that reveals mysteries and secrets uh, because the word revelation simply means, the word apocalypse means unveiling. In other words, God is taking the curtain, you know, off of history, and he's showing us, you know, what is ahead. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, before we get to the day of the Lord, or, get, or uh, what is the day of the Lord, before we get to the day of Christ in the millennial period, it's going to get pretty ugly. It's going to get pretty nasty because what Jesus Christ uh, is basically uh, allowing men to do at this point, he's allowing men to rule and reign. And as we see it culminated in this book, God is saying, you can't rule your life. Isn't that one of the revelations that we've had in our life? You realize you do your best. You know, you get educated as best you can. But you realize at the end of the day that you really can't control your own life. I, you know, it's, I think it's a glorious revelation. Because you begin to look beyond yourself and, of course, you know, there's the gospel and there's the Lord ready to meet us uh, and, and, and help us uh, and change us and realize, Lord, I need you in my life. I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your guidance. Um, you know, uh, I've got a little placard somebody gave me years ago. I kind of kept it around for, for 20 years or so. Uh, and, and, and basically it says, Christ is life and the rest are details. Our life is in him, amen? Yeah. You know, John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. That there is no life. And I'll tell you what, there's something in the heart of man. We're always looking to try to find life. I, I think there's so many, you know, so many things, that, endeavors that we get involved in where we're simply looking for, for you know, internal satisfaction, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're looking for that thing that just sort of completes us and answers us. Uh, and, and that's why you see people just sort of going through, groping through life, you know, trying to find life in this, trying to find life in that. And, and you know, we know it's not riches. We know it's not money. Uh, we know it's not all the things that men emulate uh, today. But it's simply a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, how wonderful it is that we have that. And we need to share that, don't we? But we need to communicate that to those that are out there. Yeah, I think today, because the materialism, uh, you know, I grew up basically, I was born in 1950. I grew up in the 50s and 60s. And I grew up in a very poor family in a big city. And, um, and, and the nation, the country was just sort of developing. And, and, and uh, as the 60s kind of took off, all of a sudden, uh, lifestyles began to change. And you look at the materialism, you know, that we have today in our country. And I'll tell you what. We've got more stuff than any generation has ever had, and we are more empty. There's such an emptiness in trying to fill your, that spiritual aspect of your life with material things. Only Jesus and Jesus alone can, can fill that. Folks, that's our message in a, in a, in a nutshell. In a, you know, um, very simply, it's, it's, it's receiving him, and we need to remember that, because I think sometimes we've walked with the Lord maybe 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, however long that's been, and sometimes we forget that, don't we? We, we forget, uh, because we've been saved for so long. We forget that there's hungry, hurting people out there, people committing suicide, you know, people trying to, you know, people trying to find meaning by sticking, you know, some chemical on their body, and, and we hear about the opioid, um, devastation that is taking place presently in our country, all throughout our country. People are empty. They need Jesus. And you and me are the ambassadors. I think sometimes we find ourselves like Jeremiah the prophet. I can't, I can't speak very well. Remember Moses came up with that excuse too. Okay. Open your mouth wide, he said, and I'll fill it. Tell you, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to share the good news, the, the life-giving gospel. And I'll tell you what, our country is, uh, the people around us, uh, you know what, we, 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 we do missions, you know that. We, we, we've been everywhere. Um, but I'll tell you what, there's a mission field right next to you. 
your neighbor, your cub the cubicle next to you, your relatives. Uh, there's a mission field all over. We don't even have to really look very far. We find that um, God brings these, 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 these folks to us. So this unveiling basically is, is the description of, of these future events that we could not know. I remember before I knew Christ, my mother, my mom, my dear mom, she was into the occult. And I told you this before, she actually introduced me to the Ouija board. And I can remember, man, that thing scared me to death. Because she would ask it questions and it would give answers. And I was like, whoa, man, this is kind of weird, this is kind of scary. And I can remember at one point even going to a fortune teller to find, the, the, to find out what the future was. You know, many people are involved in the occult for that reason. They think that somehow that they can maybe, if I can harness the future. I mean, it's just like in a sense when someone's making an investment. You know, try to figure out, you know, hey, uh, how's, that, how's that company going to do, you know, in the future? But here we have God simply showing us what's ahead uh, for the world and how it's important that we need to, you know, when you think about, when you think about, you know, the, the Bible, that when you read it, as we invest our life in obedience and in trusting the word of God, I'm going to tell you what, that's going to bear a great return. People are always looking to invest their lives into something. But when we invest our lives in the word of God by believing it and by acting it out and by living it, man, I'll tell you what, that's going to bear great fruit. There's going to be a, a good, rich reward uh, for us. And so we see here, you, you, know, you know, when you... It's interesting sometimes when you try to talk to people. Now, here's the thing also, too. You have to, we're always going to get blowback, you know, when we're, 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 we're trying to share Christ. But I remember I was saved in the 70s. And, uh, and some of, for some of you that were saved in the 70s, do you remember how relevant prophecy was back then? It was the birth of uh, late great planet Earth and books like that. And everybody was just, you know, just kind of waiting, you know, thinking that. Uh, I, and I remember thinking, remember the book by George Orwell, 1984? Well, I got saved in 75, and I'm thinking the Lord's going to got to come before 1984, okay? <laughs> He's got to come. And, and here we are, 2017. <laughs> and we don't know when the Lord's coming. That, that, that's craziness, isn't it? Isn't that nuts? When you disobey Scripture and you try to put a date to it, isn't that foolishness? And yet people will do that. That one guy that did it, you know, through the 80s and through the 90s, you know, and uh, it's like even when his first date didn't come up, he, he was, you know, that wasn't enough egg on his face. You know, he had to go for another date and then he went for another one. And, uh, and what was tragic, though, was people, one guy took, one guy took out his $200,000 worth of retirement to make, to make uh, um, what's it, flyers, to make flyers to announce it. Man, whenever I tell you we disregard the Bible, not smart, it's not good. God's word is true from beginning to end. And it's important, I think, as we, we process it, we read it, we understand it in the right way. But you know, the unbelieving mind, when you begin to talk to them about these things, and, and my point that I was going to make was simply this. Prophecy is a good tool for evangelism. Because when we see this stuff taking place in the world today, and a lot of people are scratching their heads. A lot of people are saying, what the heck is going on? What, what, you know, what's going to happen next? We get some nutcase over in Vegas and, and shooting nearly 600 people. <laughs> I mean, who would have ever thought that? And we have these kind of crazy things unfolding and taking place. And people are just, people are saying, people are afraid. People are fearful about what, you know, what could take place? Am I, you know, is, is somebody going to come into my kid's high school or college and, and start shooting? Or when we're in some event, is something going to, you know, unravel and take place? And I think that when we engage folks regarding these kind of things, that's where we need to say, well, the Bible addresses that. The Bible speaks to that. And that's why it's important for you and I that we know the Bible, that, that we know the Scripture, that we can take them there. 
And you don't have to be some scholar. You don't have to be some expert. You'd be surprised when you put yourself in that place of talking about Jesus, how God will give you stuff. I remember I was a new believer. And um, we were out in the park somewhere, and some cult, some religious cult um, engaged us. And I didn't know much of anything. Man, I was just brand new in Christ. And I'll tell you what, I marveled after that conversation because I walked away and said, Lord, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> how, how did that happen? I didn't know any of that. And when I preach sometimes, I'm still marveling. <laughs> I don't know any of that. That's why it's wonderful, isn't it, to have on board the resident work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Man, I tell you, what a blessing it is to know him. And so when you talk to these things about people, I think, you know what, impossible. That could never happen, but you know what, it will happen. These things will happen. And you see, more than anything, this book is a book of mysteries, and the secrets are unveiled, and you know what it is? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's it. That, that's the epitome. That's the pinnacle. That's the high point. It's the revelation of our Lord and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever notice how people tend to meet the Lord in tragic situations? Does that speak of you maybe? That you came to know the Lord in some traumatic event? And people got a lot of trauma in their, day, in their lives these days. I believe the Lord's just waiting. He's just waiting to take advantage and opportunity to, to speak into that. And, and the, the beautiful thing about the Lord is he speaks into our condition. He's always timely, isn't he? He's always relevant to something in our life. And I, I, I marvel so often, no matter where I open the Bible, there is something there that's pertinent, applicable, relevant to my, to my situation. And you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't figure that out. You can't arrange that. That's something that's done by the Holy Spirit when you just sort of open the Bible sometimes in some obscure place, and all of a sudden, you know God's speaking to your heart. Man, God's word is wonderfully applicable and relevant at all times. Now, getting to verse 1. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, God is the author. John is simply the writer. He's just the, 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 the scribe, if you will. He's just penning this out. The Lord is the author, the author, which God gave him, which God gave, the Father gave to the Son, to show to his servants, that is us, things which must shortly take place. Now, if that was true 2,000 years ago, isn't that more so true today? You know, Paul said this. He said, the Lord will do a short work upon the earth. I, th I think of the eternal time clock as far as the church age. I think we're about a minute of. We might even be on the sweep hand. We're getting so very close when you see what's taking place in our world today. You know, many of us were born after World War II, and it was sort of like a sigh of relief from that generation. You know, there's peace in the world. I can remember, I grew up with that. I grew up with, you know, veterans and my father and his brothers. And, and there was just sort of like a, there was sort of like an international sigh of relief. You know, we've, 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 we've purged the world, you know, of this, this evil plague um, that rose up. But isn't it interesting that this world is in more dangerous place today than it has ever been? than it has ever been. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. Because you know what, folks? It's not about building our kingdom. Not about building our kingdom. I heard somebody once uh, suggest this. When you're building your kingdom, it's like straightening up the deck chairs on the Titanic. That's a different perspective, isn't it? And I think we need to be very careful. Now, yeah, we want, we, we, yeah, we got duties, we got responsibilities. Uh, we're not going to be like the Thessalonians, you know, who basically, you know, quit their jobs and did all these kind of crazy, stupid things. But we want to be ready. 
Because the Lord could come any moment, and we want to be careful that we don't invest ourselves in the wrong things. We need to be invested in the kingdom, in our commitment to Jesus Christ, serving him, loving him. As I said before, we need to be reminded of this. The only thing we're taking to heaven is people. That's the only thing we're taking to heaven. I got some nice stuff in my house. I like my stuff. You like your stuff? And there's a tension between that, isn't there, and, and living for God. There's a tension there. And we have to be careful that we're not living for the stuff, but we're living for the Lord. Sometimes I've been challenged to jettison some of my stuff. And when I do, when I, when I obey, it, oh, man, it's liberating. It's like, wee, you know. It feels good, Lord. So things which must shortly take place, and he sent it and signified it to his, or by his angel, rather, to his servant John. So this book here is a, is, a, is, a, is a book, basically, Revelation is a book of symbols, a book of signs. And remember, symbols, these symbols will clarify difficult concepts for us. I was thinking, we were in the state park, uh, we went to a couple of state parks uh, this, uh, this summer. Do you know if you're over 65, you can get in the state park free all week long? Do you know that? that that's that's kind of nice. I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm always looking for a freebie. But that's kind of nice. But you notice like, in, in the state parks, they have signs, you know, like the swimming sign, you know, the guy like this kind of thing. You don't have to say anything. That symbol communicates to you. Then you got the guy with the stick. He's walking like this, okay? <laughs> then you know that you're allowed to hike on these particular trails, okay? That symbol simply tells you that. It communicates it to you without a whole lot of verbiage. And that's one of the things that we see taking place in the book of Revelation. There's different symbols. And what is very important regarding this book of Revelation is knowing Old Testament. Because remember, John's writing from that perspective. Okay? There were some New Testament books written at this particular time. But again, even when you look at New Testament books, how much is drawn out of the Old Testament? Uh, I remember reading a book. Uh, uh, one of the pastors we had here one time came in and said, oh, I got this great book. And and the guy talks about just, you know, um, get rid of the Old Testament. Get rid of the Old Testament. Don't read that. Don't, don't, don't waste your time on that. Get into the New Testament. And, and you know what? That sounds good. That sounds very theological. But it's inaccurate. And it's wrong. Remember, Paul writes in, I think, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these things were written for our admonition upon who the end of the ages have come. And so what, he's, what he was referring to there is he was speaking about the children of Israel and, and, and looking at, you know, what they experienced, what they went through, that there's application there for us. And so the, the, a key, to, again, to understanding the symbols is, is, is a good reference point in knowing the Old Testament. That's why, that's why a lot of churches today, uh, like ourselves, have really chosen to go through the Bible book by book and verse by verse. A, it's laborious. There's work to that. But at the same time, too, there's an enrichment. There's a depth. Um, there's, there's things that are wonderfully added, you know, to our faith and, and strengthened. And, and I marvel. I, again, I marvel so often as I'm reading the Old Testament how rich it is. There's so much there. You don't want to miss out. I, you know, personally, I've told you this before, but I read the Psalms every morning. Psalms for breakfast. They're good, aren't they? And... Uh, and I just read them through 150 chapters, and not every morning, <laughs> but uh, one or two a day. And, uh, and I go through them, and then I'll start all over again. And I think it's important uh, you have a good Bible reading program. If you, you know, if you read three chapters a day, you can go through the Bible in a year. Three chapters a day. You know, morning, lunch, and dinner. Not a whole lot, actually. But if you, if you just commit yourself to that... Um, and I'll tell you what, it'll put, it'll put spiritual fiber on your bones. Uh, the Word of God, you know, it's just like, it's just like eating. 
you know, as you eat, there, there's a, a nutritional um, aspect of that as your body begins to just sort of break down, you know, the food and so forth and feeding and nourishing different organs and parts of your body. It's the same thing with the Word of God. That's why the Bible uses that analogy so often. We need to eat of it. We need to partake of it. We need to get it into our system uh, and into our lives. <clears throat> now, this word signified by his angel, you know, one author interestingly broke it up and hyphenated it by saying, signified. And how accurate that is. The book of Revelation is signified. There's symbols here. And as we go through, we'll look at these things and talk about them. Verse 2, and John, who bore witness to the word of uh, God and to the testimony um, of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Remember John, you know, when you kind of like, well, why, why did John get this revelation? You know, why didn't Peter get it? I mean, he was the head guy, right? You know, good old Pete. And, uh, you know, why didn't he? Because he was the kind of the leader and so forth. And uh, why, why, why is it that John, and John was, remember, he was a part of that threesome of the disciples and we find that they followed Jesus very closely, and they were included in special occasions. And some of those occasions were simply this. Remember the transfiguration? Um, Peter, James, and John. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, in, into the inner sanctum of prayer, Peter, James, and John. Um, John also, too, he was the only apostle that was brave enough to be at the foot of the cross. And speculation also, too, is, is, is that why Jesus assigned to him the care of his own dear mother? Young John, might have been in his late teenage years, was at the foot of the cross, one of the apostles. He's the first man to the tomb. Now, we know Peter went in first, but John was the first one there, and he was the first one to believe, the Scripture tells us. Also, too, we find that he had great love and admiration. Remember, he refers to himself as the one, the apostle whom Jesus loved. Now, did Jesus love John any more than anybody else? No. But John just put himself in a place to receive the love. Remember, we see him with, with his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. He, he had such admiration, such love, and that's why he's referred to as the apostle of love. And also, too, remember in John chapter 21, when they're fishing, and I think they're kind of discouraged, okay, because they're kind of wondering, you know, what's, what's, we're waiting for the Lord, what's going on? The Lord had been resurrected at that point and, 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 and meeting them in different places. Remember, he tells them to go in Galilee. So they're up there waiting for the Lord, and they're fishermen. So what do fishermen do when there's nothing to do? <laughs> you go fishing. And so uh, they're out there fishing, and Jesus is on the shoreline, and he's, he's, he's got breakfast already for them. They've been fishing all night, and they've got nothing, and they've been through that scenario uh, excuse me, before, and, um, and, he, and Jesus um, raises his voice, and, and he says, children, do you have any food? Do you have any fish? And everybody's probably scratching their head, who is this guy, you know? And John is the first one to catch it. That, that he had that spiritual perception. And remember, he says, it's the Lord. And Peter takes off his coat and he jumps in. <laughs> I love Peter too. You know, he, he's the impulsive guy, you know, that uh, he's the first guy with his foot in his mouth. But, you know, he loved Jesus with every fiber of his being. And so we see here John was chosen. And, you know, here, here's the deal. Here, here's the deal. I think that in many respects, it's up to you and me of how close we want to follow Jesus. You want to be part of that inner circle with Jesus? I think it's, it's, it's available. It's open. He's got that for you if you want it. I think we just have to want it, don't we? We have to want it. I just encourage you, follow him closely. Don't, don't just take your lead from somebody else or from the Christian culture that we're living in right now. Go after Jesus. 
that'll be one regret you never have. To know him better. To love him more. To put our head on his chest. Now, verse 3, <clears throat> this book contains a special blessing that, no, that makes a promise to us that no other book will make. And it says, blessed is he who reads, and in the original, it's reading out loud. In the original. To read it out loud. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and also keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. A blessing to those who listen, those who observe, and those who lay hold upon these truths. I'll tell you what, God's truth will wonderfully save you and encourage you. It'll protect your family in troubled times. We are in those days. We are in troubled days in this world. So as we look to the Bible, look to prophecy, we can find ourselves wonderfully encouraged, buoyed up. Because I'll tell you what, sometimes as a Christian, you feel like giving up, don't you? Sure you do. Sure you do. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I feel like giving up. Oh, but he's so faithful. When we feel like giving up, he lifts us up. He reaches down and he pulls us up out of our little miry clay. Sets us upon a rock. Speaks fresh words of encouragement and ministry to us. And so John to the seven churches which are in Asia... In this verse, we find this significant number, seven, uh, two different times. And it's significant, and we find it many different times in this final book of the Bible. And remember, the number seven always speaks of completeness, fulfillment, completeness. This prophecy is a complete prophecy. And it speaks of human history being complete. He says, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Uh, some of you guys remember Chef Bob. Hey, he's with the Lord now. He used to cook for us all the time. And he'd wear a chef hat. And he was a good cook, too. And uh, one time he came up to me and said, Pastor, I've read this, and what is it? What is it? Seven spirits before the throne. And it's actually a reference from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, and it's prophetic of Jesus Christ. And it says this in 11.2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, spirit of wisdom and, and, and spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other words, this is the sevenfold working of the Holy Spirit. That's what this is. And you know what? When he's in your life and he's having his way with us, you get counsel, wisdom, understanding. Might is just another word for power. Don't we need power today? How many of us know some of our brothers and sisters that have fallen away? A lot of temptation out there today. Our kids are under a lot of temptation. We can get things that come to our phone or electronic device that, where'd that come from? I think I know where it came from. <laughs> We need power. And you know what the church needs today? It needs purity. Purity. You know there's power in purity. 
and we're going to serve communion here in a minute. After something maybe we need to bring to the table, give it up, turn it over, have an opportunity to do that. Now, verses uh, 5 is sort of a, next two verses actually are sort of a hymn of praise. And from Jesus Christ, a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, speaking of his resurrection, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, and to him who loved us and washed us from our own sins in his blood. This word loved, loved us is actually in the present tense. Do you know he loves you today? Why I've been bad? That's okay. He still loves you. He didn't save you because you were goody two-shoes. Jesus saves and loves bad people. Maybe you're thinking, I wasn't so bad. <laughs> well, if you weren't, I was. I made up for it. Um, Harry Ironside tells a story that actually goes back to D.L. Moody. Um, Ironside goes to, to England and he meets, a, he meets a, a pastors over there, they call them vicars. And um, this vicar tells him the story that when D.L. Moody came to Cambridge University, and if you know anything about Cambridge or Oxford, like they were the quintessential educational institutions of the world at that time. And they all spoke their little perfect English. Marge and I kind of laugh when we watch PBS because we need to get the captions up there because they all sound like they're talking with a, a mouthful of marbles. Anyway, D.L. Moody was a real country bumpkin. They said he slaughtered and massacred the English language. <laughs> and it isn't an interesting that God would take him to Cambridge University to speak to those people. He uses the foolish things of the world, doesn't he, to confound the wise. So there were four young men. They said, and they had heard Moody's fame. And they had heard him obviously speak before. And they said, we are going to stand up at a critical point in his sermon and, and humiliate him. Well, the Lord knew that, and he overheard that conversation because obviously Moody didn't. But not very far into his sermon, Moody walks out into the edge of the platform, and they're sitting right in the front row. And he said, I want you young men to know that the Lord loves you. He do. And a little bit later in the, conver in, in the sermon, he went out and said it again. You young men, I want you to know that the Lord love you. He do. That was Moody. And the guy who was telling that story to Harry Ironside was one of those young men. And he said, you know what? I gave my life to Jesus Christ that night. And went on to become a pastor. You know, I said it a week or two ago. We can get mad at all the sexual perversion out there. And we can even call it righteous indignation. But you know those homosexuals, they need Jesus. They need to know somebody loves them. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for love like many people in all the wrong places. Oh, the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. How it can set us free. He doesn't just love you and me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish.
but of everlasting life. I'd like to have the ushers uh, come in the worship uh, team. As we uh, wait to get served uh, the bread and the cup, I'd like to read a few verses for you from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul reminding us here. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat. This is my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man so examine himself, and so let them eat the bread and drink the cup. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to themselves, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So dear, dear people, there's something that you're wrestling with and struggling with today. Here's an opportunity. Turn it over to him. Give it up to him. Let it go. Bitterness, unforgiveness. Maybe a personal struggle in your heart, in your life. Maybe with your, with your own behavior. Sometimes things get into our hearts and lives and not so easy to shake them off, is it? We're weak, but oh, he's strong. And he'll help us. As we just take this time to just open our hearts to him and say, Lord, forgive my sins. Lord, wash me in your blood. Lord, help me, strengthen me. I want to do your will. Let's kind of do that as we sing now and roll. Share the uh, emblems in a moment.
all eyes closed. This morning, if you're here and you do not know the Savior, this is your opportunity. This is your moment. Making a decision for Jesus Christ is the most impactful, life-changing decision that you will ever make. And if you want to have Jesus come into your heart and life, I just want you to signify it now so we can pray for you. Uh, you can hold up your bread hand, not, not the drink hand. Hold up the bread hand. Anyone here? Okay. Anyone else? It's your opportunity. It's your moment. He waits for us. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the cross. Lord, we all stand on this level ground because of what you did. We thank you for that. We remember that. Thank you, Lord, that our decision, Lord, with which you have enabled us and helped us to make is an eternal decision. And Lord, we thank you knowing and seeing our plight that you were willing to leave your throne in heaven and come, Lord, and lay down your life. Lord, they didn't take your life from you. You laid it down. You laid it down for us. The greatest act of love that this world has ever seen. We honor you for that. We're, we're grateful. We're eternally grateful and thankful for that. And I pray, Father, your blessing, your strengthening. Lord, we, we know that this bread we hold is but a symbol. It's a symbol of you. It's a symbol of your body, your life. And as we partake of it, Lord, Lord, we confess our need of you in a continual way that, that you would work in us, that you would continue to change us as we feed upon you. Lord, realizing your great love and your great power, and you're able to do, Lord, what we are not able to do. Lord, you're able to change us. And so, Father, whatever there be that we need to give to you, that by faith now, we give it. We offer up to you, Lord, our hurt, our pain, our bitterness, our anger, our frustration, whatever it may be, Lord, we give to you. We give to you our sin. Lord, the desires in our heart that we know are not right, we give them to you. Please take them, Lord. Give us your nature. Give us your virtue. Give us your life and power. Let us eat together in Jesus' name. Dear Father, we hold also to this cup. And it represents, Lord, the life, the lifeblood that was poured out on our behalf. Lord, it also represents the cup of salvation. And I pray for anyone here, Lord, this morning, who felt that they couldn't raise their hand. Maybe they did in their heart. Lord, may you meet with them. Lord, you meet with the tiniest flicker of faith. That's how you are. You're good, you're kind, you're gracious. We honor you for that. And we thank you, Lord, as we partake of it. it it's a symbol of the cleansing and the forgiveness and that which we so sorely need. Our world needs it, Lord. Lord, they're out there fighting. They're killing they're hating. But we thank you, Lord, for love. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. And Lord, we need that same love to make any difference, Lord, out there in the culture, out there in the society. They don't know it, but Lord, 
they're really hungry for you. Thank you for saving us. Also, Lord, may you send us. May you send us, Lord. We drink in honor to you and thank you. In Jesus' name, let's drink. Lord bless you. Have an awesome week. Amen.